Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you for downloading or streaming this episode of Band Biographies. You can find more episodes at bandbiographies.com. That's B-A-N-N-E-D biographies.com. If you enjoy it, why not leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts. Apparently, it helps get the show up the charts so more people can see it, to download it, and then to leave further five-star reviews. Another way you can help is by telling as many friends as possible to give it a download. Please do reach out on Twitter at BandBiogs, on Instagram at BandBiographies, search on Facebook for BandBiographies, or by emailing BandBiographies at gmail.com. But most of all, enjoy. Welcome back to Band Biographies. I'm Tom Austin Morgan, your host, and I'm here to introduce this chat that I had with the Stepney Sisters, more specifically, Caroline and Benny from the Stepney Sisters. I was supposed to be joined by the drummer Ruthie as well, but she was ill on the evening of the Zoom call. This is a brilliant story of some university friends who joined a soul band as singers in the early 1970s, moved to London, met some like-minded women involved in the women's liberation movement and decided to start an all-female band so they could have complete control over the content of their songs and which gigs they played. The sisters, or Steppos as I found out they called themselves, broke up less than two years later as their lives were taking them in different directions. They all kept their hand in, playing in various bands, and in 2010 they got back together to play a couple of gigs. Through Anya Pearson, the guitarist in the band Dreamnails, and the daughter of one of the Steppos, the band signed to an indie label, Alcopop, and released a double single earlier this year, Sisters and Lonely Man. Since I talked to them, they've now released a full album called Stepney Sisters. But before I tell the full story here in the intro, I'd better hand over to Caroline and Benny. First off, I'd like to thank you for, for lending me your time this evening. I love the story behind you guys, the Stepney Sisters, and uh, your kind of reunion. I think this is going to be a really interesting chat. We've got Caroline and... Be- uh, it's Benny, isn't it? Yes, that's my nick. That's my nickname. My my real name is Marion, but um, people call me Benny. Mm, mm. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys both do within the band? What's your role? At the moment, I play keyboards and sing. In the original incarnation, I played the drums when our drummer Susie was heavily pregnant and just and having her baby, a small baby, Cody. 
but and we all we all write and arrange. So that's that that's what I do. And I played the bass and do backing vocals. So going from drums to uh, to, are you are you a bit of a multi instrumentalist, Caroline? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I am actually because I'm now playing a lot of guitar. All right. <laughs> Yes, I always wanted to learn to play the drums and I sort of jumped at it when Susie became unable, too large to play the drums. <laughs> I had to learn very, very quickly, I have to say. And it was, um, the band were very patient with me because I didn't have a huge amount of practice on the drums. Uh, but yes, I suppose I am. I play keyboards in other bands. And as I say, I now play a lot of guitar, uh, acoustic guitar. I can relate in a way. I've just started taking up the drums as well i'm a bassist by trade benny oh. yeah i play um electric and stand up as well but mm-hmm. i have just acquired a practice drum kit as well which is going to drive everyone absolutely nuts over the next however long it is until i become anywhere near proficient i think it's always interesting to find out influences and what makes people tick so um What's the first song or, or album that you heard, or, or piece of music, should I say, that you heard and you thought, I, I'd like to do that, that's for me? There are so many, it's really hard to say. I grew up with an elder brother, so I listened to his music all the time, which was jazz, kind of blue, you know, Miles Davis, and blues players, which I absolutely love. I suppose it was really, though, when we got to the soul, you know, the classic really chunky, passionate soul stuff, like, of course, Aretha Franklin, that I really thought, wow, wouldn't it be great to stand up and deliver something like that, you know, which Mm. wasn't just frothy. It was was really from the heart, from the the guts, really, and so, so, so powerful and inspiring. So I guess I would say that was probably her as an artist. Was there like a standout Aretha song that you remember? Well, Respect, of course, was the one that was on the radio. And, you know, you only have to listen to the words of it. Respect. (laughs) Give me respect, you know. (laughs) But also Chain of Fools was wonderful. The slow ballads are beautiful. Her version of Natural Woman is gorgeous. Mm. Yeah. I mean, she did make some duff albums before she (laughs) got did Lady Soul, which is, you know, stunning. It's a breakthrough breakthrough album uh, I was also inspired by all the wonderful songwriters of the 60s I mean there were so many Joni Mitchell Bob Dylan but <laughs> mm. <laughs> James Taylor you know you could go on there are so many so many so a kind of folksy and soul kind of uh it's not really folk it's songwriting it's having well constructed songs beautifully constructed melodically but also which have something to say about, you know, context, which have political context or which just tug at your heartstrings. You know, it's that quality of writing rather than it being folky-wokey. Because sort of, mm. you know, it, it's not quite folk. It's like acoustic song, semi-acoustic yeah. song. I see what you mean. Yeah, absolutely. And Benny, what about yourself? My first uh, LP that I bought was um, I sold my bicycle to buy it, which was it was with the Beatles. It was the Beatles' second album, yeah. and I was just absolutely entranced by the Beatles. I just thought the Beatles were just amazing. I thought they were absolutely incredible, and I even 
managed to go at the age of 13. I managed to get into the Cavern Club in Liverpool. My sister and I decided we wanted to go and visit my aunt and uncle who lived in Liverpool in a very middle-class suburb. And when we got there, we told them that we wanted to go to the Cavern Club. And and it was very embarrassing. My uncle insisted on coming to meet us (laughs) when we came out. And like, you know, I was obviously 13. I mean, you know, and it was really in a very rough sort of area, you know, and that was like 63 or something. But it was just sort of soaked with the atmosphere of all that sort of Mersey beaten stuff. And you could just feel, you know, in the in the walls, there was Scylla Black and Billy J. Kramer and, and the Beatles and Jerry and the Pacemakers and all that stuff. And there was a band playing called the Denisons, who were absolutely amazing. And uh, they never really made it beyond one single, but I bought that single. It was called Be My Girl. And it was a very sort of Mersey Beat kind of lineup and a very Mersey Beat sort of sound. Hmm. But also at the same time, I was learning the piano and I was uh, deeply into uh, some classical composers as well. I was uh, utterly sort of transfixed by pieces of Beethoven and Brahms. Hmm. So they they kind of went along in tandem. That was all right. But then I think that when I started to hear Tamla Motown and the sort of uh, soul and all that stuff, yes, you know, it's the most amazing heartfelt music. And it's just so, so lovely to take part in, to sing and to take part in. I mean, just the most wonderful kind of music. My very first single was this, was the Denison's Be My hmm. Girl. And my first album was with the Beatles. Right. That's not a bad couple of things. I've never, I've not heard the Denison, so I'll have to look that up afterwards. But I went to the Cavern a few oh. years ago myself. I know, I don't think it's the original. No, I don't think it is anymore. No. Mm-hmm. But it certainly like, you still feel that kind of reverence it was still like a, a hot sweaty atmosphere with no air conditioning like it was yeah, really... like, yeah. sweat running down the walls yeah and like utterly sort of you know completely unsafe you know <laughs> uh, heaven forbid that there would be any kind of a fire or something like that it would just be terrible you had to walk down like this really steep narrow staircase to get in yeah. there it really was not a very suitable place for a 13 year old girl but <laughs> nevertheless I sort of managed to get in so that was one the highlight of my teens really that sure. and, and seeing seeing the Beatles live that was oh. great as well <laughs> oh very nice not in the cavern though or not in the cavern no, no. i saw them on one of their tours when they came to cambridge i mean they only had like two vox column speakers their pa was absolutely pathetic you know i mean it was really all their gear was you, you know it was just tinny um but you heard you it was because you knew the songs so well you kind of couldn't hear anything above the screaming and you, you just knew that what the songs were, you knew what they were singing. So it was, uh, you were just sort of taken up in the, in, in the atmosphere of the whole thing, which mm. was just completely mad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So there's quite a range of, uh, of influences in there from, you know, uh, Tamla Motown to the Mersey beat to, to classical uh, soul and singer songwriter stuff. What was, uh, what was the, first band either of you saw live what was the first kind of concert that you went to well I went to I was thinking about this 
The first one I went to was by a group called the Nashville Teens. Do you oh, remember yeah. them? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of them. Tobacco yeah. Road was their yeah. one and only hit single. Yeah. Mm. And again, I must have been a bit like you, Benny, 13, I think. I was looking mm -hmm. up when it was a hit. Mm -hmm. And that was at the assembly rooms in Worthing, which is mm. where I grew up, where they actually had a band every week. And I, I saw them all. So they were the first. But after that, I saw people like Gino Washington and the Ram Jam Band, who were brilliant soul yeah. review. And um, people like the Hollies. And I actually did see Jimi Hendrix at the Pier Pavilion. Oh, wow. And he was absolutely mind-blowing wow he was brilliant from start to finish <laughs> like open mouth jaws on the floor <laughs> jaws were on the floor <laughs> he was absolutely brilliant so yeah they were they were but i saw lots and lots of i used to go every week so i saw loads of bands mm. but um those were that was the first and was in highlights oh, excellent what about you benny well, I, I, uh, there was this um, rock venue in this East Anglian town called Boston. Have you mm. heard of Boston? It's yeah, kind yeah. of like you have to sort of go there. Uh, it's not on the way to anywhere, you know. <laughs> and uh, they they used to, for some reason, this, this, this venue used to have really good bands. But it was a real problem for us as teenagers actually getting there, but most of all getting home because it's quite a way. And I saw Manfred Mann there, they were great. And, wow. and uh, a, few other, a few other people, but I think also mainly we, we used to go and see bands in Cambridge and we saw Billy, Ch I remember going to see Billy J. Kramer mm. and uh, they had uh, a whole load of people. Um, who was that guy? That song called Sheila, he was an American American singer. Sweet little Sheila, da 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 dum. Ponytail. I, I can't remember what his name was, but he was really big. He had I mean that song was I think number one for for, for a while. You used to get these really big touring concerts, didn't you? And they, they would have like three or four really big names on them. But that, then sort of a bit a bit later on, when I was about 16 or 17, I started going out with a guy who was a sax player in, in a band called Van de Graaff Generator. Ooh, oh, and yeah. then progressive yeah. rock. <laughs> yes, right. And they were with the uh, Chrysalis label, mm. um, which was Genesis. That yeah. Genesis was the most famous band. And I think Wishbone Ash were, yeah. were in it. And um, there was one other as well, can't remember. Audience, yes, audience. Van de Graaff Generator used to obviously go and do a lot of concerts and a lot of gigs and everything. So I used to get to go to those hmm. and sort of, you know, feel really kind of privileged to be in the uh, artist's enclosure, you know. <laughs> And my boyfriend would sort of point out, you know, as various sort of hairy beings kind of came into view, you know, <laughs> see him, he's he's seeing me from that. And that's, you know, and so you'd open the door and John Peel would be standing there and all sorts of um, uh, all kinds of uh, um, these Black Sabbaths. I remember sort of seeing wow. them. King Crimson. King Crimson. Uh, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. Robert Fritt. I remember. Yeah. Uh, 
I played uh, I played the piano on uh, Peter Hamill's solo album. You know, Peter Hamill was yeah. a singer in Vandegraaff Generator. Right. Yeah. And he went on he went on to make a solo album or two. I mean, he's I think he's still going. You know, he's still performing. Probably, yeah. And I got to play a piano on one of his songs on his uh, first album, which uh, I wish I'd kept a copy of the record. <laughs> haven't got it but uh, that was a kind of interesting time from sort of seeing lots of bands but um, I wasn't being a musician myself you know I was just sort of being somebody's girlfriend and uh, that meant sitting around an awful lot of the time yeah sitting around um, waiting in dressing rooms and sort of uh, waiting for your boyfriend to appear and uh, you know, having to listen to all the band conversations about what went wrong and what, what was happening at the gig and which band members are being a pain in the ass and who is, uh, you know, who is uh, in and who's out and all that stuff. All the regular yeah. band conversations, all the backstabbing and... <laughs> That's all, all that. <laughs> all the girlfriends had to kind of be sort of lumped together, you know, because we're all sort of we're all marooned together. So, yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, so I was... Uh, so, so, so that was a, a sort of period of, of my life when I kind of floated around this kind of festival thing. That must have been quite exciting. Did you? Did, were you like you were on the road with them as well as they were going round? No, I didn't go on the road with them. I just used to kind of go to. I was I was a student, at, uh, sort of like it was before before I went to university okay. at York, where where we all met. And uh, I think I just used to kind of get to go to the ones that were sort of you know available and convenient. I didn't sort of uh, mm. become a full time groupy or anything uh, I always used to feel sort of slight I used to feel slightly miffed because I really wanted to be doing it you know sure uh, sure uh, yeah but as you say you then went on to university and and was it all f- how, how many were in um 70 sisters at the beginning was it because oh, you were in expensive first right that's yeah. right yes yeah mm-hmm. so tell us a little bit about expensive you go Caroline Benny Ruthie and I were the three who were inexpensive, who mm. then went on to be in the Stepney Sisters. And that was a soul band put together by a friend of ours, really, who just, you know, suggested, I think we were in our second or third years. Mm. And before that, he'd done a, a, another spoof band. And I was... In, were you in Tilly Teeth and the Braces? Oh, yeah, I think we were in Tilly Teeth and the Braces. I mean, this yeah. is how daft yeah. it was, okay? And was that Steve Beresford's band or whatever? Yeah, I think it was. It sounds as if it was, Steve yeah. Beresford is now a sort of leading light still in yeah. the London Musicians Collective. You know, yeah, he's an incredible there. musician. Absolutely Yes, incredible. yes. Well, and he's, he's always had a sense of humor, of the absurd, if you like. <laughs> so he, he formed a band... And we were, we were the, the girl singers, I'm putting, you know, this called Tilly Teeth and the Braces. Right. So we trotted on stage in hot pants and braces. And I remember I had these high-heeled clogs, almost broke my neck, honestly. <laughs> they were absolutely <laughs> deadly. And we sort of trotted on, giggling, and sang Da Do Ron Ron, which um, I have to say is a fantastic song. Mm. Da Do Ron Ron... 
get ready that's it right, yes. anyway <laughs> we did three songs and we were just like hysterical with excitement and nerves weren't we benny i think we were i was yeah i think we were yes yes uh-huh. um and then pretty soon after that steve and others including john telfer who was the most fantastic piano player and singer i mean john was really soulful he had the most wonderful so, you know, he'd been doing working men's clubs. He had a fantastic repertoire of soul music. They put together expensive and they said, do we want to sing in it? And we went, yes, you know, because it was just so wonderful to be in a band. Sure. So then we started rehearsing up our parts. We did loads of work. You know, we rehearsed, we sorted out the arrangements. Uh, we practiced them all. And Benny started writing, didn't you, Ben? Didn't you have a couple of songs in the expensive repertoire? Yes, I think so. Yeah. yeah, not very good ones, but, but it was a start, you know. It certainly was. And, you know, I was starting to write, but I'm sure nothing got into the repertoire. So that was how Expensive came together. And it was incredibly successful. I mean, because at that time it was easy to get gigs. We were great at dances because it was all dance music. So it was a classic lineup. We had the, the usual rhythm section. We also had a key, so we had keyboard, guitar, bass drums three singers and a saxophone so you know it, it was a really good full lineup and yeah. it was really popular we did loads and loads of gigs it was great great experience and it was huge fun it really was and of course because mm. it was mainly a lot of it was on campus it was easy we didn't have to do huge amounts of work and lovely match from the um, language laboratory used to provide a very peculiar PA for us and uh, you know Anyway, so that was how expensive got together. And I have to say, we absolutely loved it. But I think mm. we were still beginning to chomp at the bit for wanting to have a bit more of an active role. Were you looking to, to write music yourself, were you? Write and play, you know? Mm. Rather mm. than just, I mean, it was lovely being the singers. You can't get a much nicer job gig than singing and doing backing vocals for the band. You really can't. Mm. But we wanted to do a bit more than that as well. Well, I think we all did, didn't we? Yeah, uh huh. But I think you know it was something that we really wanted to take the the band a bit further. We moved to London, and the guys then sort of began to lose interest and were kind of diverted into uh, author or improvisation, contemporary stuff and jazz and stuff. It wasn't because we didn't want to do expensive i think it was mainly because the guys were sort of drifting drifting off into other things i suppose there's less um less call for vocalists in uh in improvisational jazz isn't there really yes unless you want to kind of do all that (laughs) (laughs) all that stuff you know (laughs) that's very true a, a so, lot of people enjoy that kind of thing, but but we didn't, so, you know. Yeah. It wasn't quite for us. No, it's not not entirely my cup of tea either, if I'm honest. So had you all moved down to London by that point? Yes. Or were you still in, yeah. Yeah, so we all moved down that, that kind of summer and autumn. I came a bit later than the others, a few weeks later, but we were all there. And in December of 1974, we were all got together in this very creaky damp squat that some of us were living in in Stepney and sort of said oh god 
why don't we start our own band? And I was very keen. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, let's learn the instruments we need to learn. And let's just, let's just do it. Because mm. we were all started writing songs. I mean, Benny had already written some fantastic songs. I'd written a couple of songs. And so we kind of set to. We already knew we could handle all the vocals. Singing was not mm. a problem. We didn't have to look for a singer. We, we knew that we could handle that. And, and we could write. We just had to sort of somehow managed to play the instruments well enough. And then we recruited our drummer, Susie, Noni, who was another friend, who played guitar but not electric guitar. She just, you know, had an acoustic guitar. And a keyboard player was with us at that point, who was also someone we know from York called Sharon. Mm. And we set to, and wonderful it was. But it was bloody hard work. We were also having to go to work and trying to find somewhere to live. Right, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> how, how long were you in the squats? It varied. Oh, God, the squats. Oh, no, Car- Caroline and I actually managed to escape, didn't we? We, we escaped <laughs> oh, to a flat in Stoke Newington. But... Uh, other other people sort of stuck it out for a lot longer, didn't they? Nearly. Oh, years and years, yeah. yes. So it was I mean, a massive we... scene, wasn't it? Like the early 70s, there was a huge squat kind of scene, yes. wasn't yeah. there? Well, there, there was, because there'd been a lot of the GLC and the local councils had already started doing a lot of knocking down, you know, the terraces and building these sometimes, sometimes okay, but sometimes not okay blocks. And there was a movement to try and retain some of these terraces, actually. So it was sort of a bit on hold. So people were moved out and then the places were sometimes squatted and sometimes licensed. As time went on, the council started licensing them because it was easier to have someone in them. They couldn't knock them down anymore. Anyway, just to tell you briefly, the first one we went to was a prefab, wasn't it, on the Isle of Dogs, which was then a complete... I mean, it was the armpit of East London. It wasn't like it is now. And we got there. It was this ghastly stoneyard lane prefabs. We got in there. I remember I had this terrible sinking feeling. It was me and Benny and Nomi. And we were like, oh, God. And then in the middle of the night, on the door, we were like, oh, what do you say? Opened the door. It was the guy who moved out earlier that day, come back for his boots. He'd forgotten his boots. <laughs> And the next morning we woke up to this banging sound. The blooming council had turned up. They were boarding us in. Oh, no. <laughs> said, unless you leave, we're going to board you in. <laughs> so we had to then run out again with our possessions <laughs> and wait for the fixers of the squatters' union, the local squatters' union, and they then took us to the house where we lived for several months. And then some people stayed, and but Benny and I who were probably not made of such strong stuff, <laughs> decanted to a very strange little flat in Stoke-Newington <laughs> above a transvestite Brazilian and his dogs. Who was a paranoid <laughs> schizophrenic as well. And uh, we had, I just remember when, when the people came to board us up, some kind of social worker came with them and, and she was talking to us and she said, now you can, yeah, I'm from Yorkshire and you can tell me straight, now are you on drugs? <laughs> <laughs> we went, no, no, we're not on drugs. And um, we're squatting this property and it is our right. And we, we had to, you know, you have this thing that you're supposed to say to people. 
but they didn't care. They just sort of, they just kind of. Um, <laughs> And Noni was even braver than us because she was in a in a house just over the way on her own. She she had actually spent spent the night on her own in this other place. Wow. And she got completely boarded. She got completely <laughs> But we heard, like, sort of throughout the night, she was sitting playing her guitar and singing to kind of keep her spirits <laughs> up, you know. So we heard her sort of going through her entire repertoire of songs, <laughs> you know, to, to kind of scare away the spooks. And, <laughs> then, uh, and then another person, Steve Beresford, came, didn't he? He was knocking, he, he turned right. up and was knocking on the door and we were too frightened to let him in or something. <laughs> trying to give us a bit of moral support but we were like quaking with fear and bloody freebird. Well I think he was just sort of creeping about outside because he didn't <laughs> want to frighten us and he said he said I thought you'd know it was me because I was whistling Albert Ayler's ghost. <laughs> you couldn't make it up Tom honestly. That's incredible. <laughs> I suppose terrifying at the time but at least. It was. One of Caroline's songs, actually, knock, knock on the Door, I think dates from that time. <laughs> it does indeed. It was about, like, if you want to kind of get to know me, if you want something, you've got to knock and make yourself heard, make yourself known, not just sort of creep around whistling <laughs> and hoping that somebody will, will, will actually recognise you or sort of know what, what you're going on about. This is true, really Benny, and the song is on the album. That's right. Was on the album, and uh, and afterwards we, we we then got we got got moved out by the squatters' union into a bricks and mortar house, which was no electricity, um, but it was nevertheless a, a proper house. And um, later we heard that uh, there'd been a really gruesome murder in in this lane where we'd originally lived oh, um, yeah. Stone Lane. so uh, it was not without its sort of dangers this this life so uh, we were quite pleased to get to it into our little flat in Stoke Newington yeah um, regardless of who your downstairs neighbour was <laughs> it just sounds like um uh, you know a completely almost like wild west kind of um time where people could just rock up and occupy areas of London that were about to be knocked down it sounds incredibly I mean I know that I think a lot of things with the passage of time are looked back on in a kind of rose-tinted way and a very kind of romanticized lifestyle but yeah I suppose the reality is like you said it's actually quite terrifying at the same time mm-hmm. yeah, yeah we, we, we were frightened but nothing horrible ever happened to us none of us were attacked none of us were harmed it's quite interesting but we were so out of our comfort zone it's not true i bet because did you i mean uh, had you all come from i mean you went to university yes. so you were already... come from middle class mm. homes and i mean i have to say we had plenty of guts you know we had plenty mm. of books we really did we were but also it was just very difficult to find anywhere to live i mm. mean like it is now when you come to london i mean it's yeah. easier than it is now because the, the rents were not as high but it was still really difficult just to mm. get your foot in the door. And the fact that we would be put into a house, however decrepit, was was, was appealing. You know, it was a, as a way to start. Mm. Then you could start trying to earn some money 
trying to get gigs or whatever. And there was a kind of a whole social conscience and context to the squatting movement. You know, it, 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 there were ideals behind it. Uh, mm. We're making it sound a little bit wilder than it was. There were organised unions around London. The one that we were involved with was very active in protecting or moving Bengali families who'd been put in estates where they were suffering all sorts of racist attacks, for example. This was very early on and getting absolutely no joy from the council. And so the Squatters Union would go in and get them out and put them in somewhere safer. So, you know what I mean? It was quite a complex and interesting scene and it wasn't just a sort of free-for-all, if that Mm. makes sense. Yeah, because I think that's the association that it seems to have with people now, I think. I, I don't think there's as much knowledge of that more organised side of it. Mm, there definitely were. I mean, there were, there were squatters unions or organisations all over London. I know there was one in West London because some of my friends moved into some of the very grand houses but out west. Same thing, they'd been left empty. I mean, I have to say the houses we moved in, they didn't have baths or indoor <laughs> toilets. It just didn't seem to worry us at the time. We heated up, you know kettles and had the tin bath sat in the tin bath literally in the kitchen and you know went to the loo in the garden I mean I'm sorry not in the garden <laughs> outside <laughs> toilet <laughs> and I um, that was that was what it was wasn't it that was your like you say your, your foot in the door that was our foot in the door but of course the families who'd been moved on didn't want to live like that they mm. wanted a decent house they wanted mm. a bathroom they wanted hot water and so they moved out to somewhere like Woodford you know or Romford and they thought that was great and they thought I met a woman later on who said that you we thought you're mad moving to those houses <laughs> <laughs> so when you moved into your flat after the squat how, how how long was it until you were kind of proficient enough if you like to when did when did the Stepney sisters kind of really kick off? Oh, it kicked it kicked off way before we were proficient enough. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'd already played the bass when I was in. A, I had a band when I was thirteen when I was at school, okay. and I used to play the bass in a band then. So I, I have played the bass before. Mm. But uh, it was about a week, I think, from the time of deciding that we were going to form a band that we got our first gig because oh, wow. um, we didn't have a drummer and a pianist who'd replaced John in Expensive, who we still knew, lived in this road in Stoke Newington, which was another road of, of squats. And a whole lot of musicians lived there. And he said, I know that there's this woman drummer who lives in Cliss Old Road uh, called Susie. So we just all went round en masse and knocked on Susie's door and said, oh, we, we want you to come and join yeah. our band. And so she said, yeah, all right, okay. So we then had a gig um, because there was this um, institution, what was it, in Primrose Hill called the Women's Arts Alliance. It was in... Um... Yeah, I forgot where it was. It wasn't Primrose Hill. It was somewhere near Marylebone. It was, I've got here, it was the 5th of January, 1975. We had our first rehearsal. Right. I've yeah. got Noni's notes here. And then it was on Valentine's Day that we had our first gig. So you wow. can see that wasn't a huge period of rehearsal. <laughs> given that we were all working and squatting and living in different, and the week before that gig, we um, we found Susie, which is what Benny was saying. Mm. 
mm. quite Women's Free Arts Alliance. I wish I could remember exactly where it was. It's somewhere near Regent's Park. That's it was somewhere, it. yeah, it was somewhere near a park. I remember it was that. Near Regent's Park. It was quite a sort of trendy area, wasn't it? I remember thinking, oh, this this is a bit better than Stepney around here. <laughs> oh, God, it was gorgeous. Yeah. And it was a yeah. beautiful space. It was an uh -huh. amazing space. And again, yeah. it's another one of those spaces, either on licence or I think it was on licence or squatted. Mm. Yeah. And they were using it for art exhibitions and installations. It was incredibly creative. Mm -hmm. And they were so nice to us. For goodness sake, I mean... Goodness knows how we managed to do it. We went down really well. <laughs> five weeks after our first rehearsal. That's incredible. We had about sort of five songs or something. We did, we did. it. Yeah. Uh -huh. But uh, it was, uh, we had to kind of borrow gear. I mean, we didn't That's have, right. I mean, we didn't have any money to we start no with. Money. We, didn't, we didn't have any uh, equipment or <laughs> we have very little. So we had to go around borrowing stuff and, uh, Remember, uh, somebody's guitar got stolen. Mm. Didn't we used to get stuff stolen all the time, um, damaged? I don't know what we did for a roadie. I can't remember how we used to get the gear from one place to another. Well, either. Well, John, John Thingamy, John Halsey did it some, some of the time. Yeah, he but he came later, didn't he? Kathy oh. Nairn helped us to begin yeah. with. She who oh, ran the right. Free yeah. Arts Alliance. She had a we band. Used, yeah, we used to, used to help of, us. We, we didn't have cars either. I mean, mm. we, no, we didn't have cars, no. And we never thought of asking, we would never have asked our parents, would we? Mm. For some reason, that was culturally absolutely no, no. You know, we were not going to be dependent. Well, that's it. You, you, want, you want that independence. You want to do it for yourself, don't oh. you? So mm -hmm. uh, there was something else that I forgot to ask as well. When was it that you kind of crossed paths with Bob Marley and the Whalers? Oh, now that we decided that was in 1976. Then no, you, tell that no, story. you remember that? Best. It that was, was 73 because we were still at uni. Oh, sorry, I beg your pardon. Yes, that was because it was expensive. Yeah, yeah, it was a gig in one of the York colleges at York. They were playing, and we didn't really, uh, they, they were sort of these incredibly cool guys. We'd never really seen anyone like them before. <laughs> and uh, they were just sort of so ultra cool and, and so we, we were all sort of gathering to sort of do the gig also and I think they, they were sort of talking I think mainly to Ruthie afterwards you know saying we want you to come and be our backing singers or something mm. I don't know I quite honestly I, I don't know how sincere an offer it was this <laughs> was a chat up line we probably yeah <laughs> I mean you know they, they they probably would have forgotten all about it in the morning you know but it was before they were Bob Marley and the Whalers they were just just the Whalers right then. that's right it's before you had the I3 as well those three wonderful women Rita Marley that's right. and two others yeah could but also, we, we found out later that one of the members of the Whalers had left on that tour. Mm -hmm. uh, he'd left unexpectedly because okay. they got very homesick and cold. And so they couldn't do the harmonies. That If you've listened to the Whalers, that the harmonies are fantastic. And they were yeah. their three part. And they couldn't do them. So we think that may have been one of the factors of, yeah. you know, the appeal <laughs> of getting <laughs> us to join them. But we were like, oh, no, no. We're doing our degrees. <laughs> <laughs> and you yeah. could have been one of the, or you could have been the three eyes, I suppose, instead of the uh, the women that ended up in the three eyes. The I3. I3, sorry. I think possibly not. 
Really? <laughs> I just remember being so completely sort of baffled by their music. I mean, it was unlike anything, you know, I'd ever heard. I don't and suppose it was overly well known at that point in No, I had a holiday job once working in a record shop and reggae was uh, sort of imports that they used to be sort of imported from, uh, you know, it was skinhead music. Mm -hmm. Skinheads used to really vie with each other to get these sort Mm of um, these very obscure kind of imports and they would uh, they would come in, they, they would sort of arrive from Jamaica or somewhere, and all the all the guys would all sort of lean over trying to see what other people had ordered and what, what had arrived. And I just remember sort of listening to some of this stuff and it, it not really making much sense to me um, and identifying it very much with, with, for some reason, I don't know why, do you remember that, Caroline, that it was, it was, Skinhead music, um, uh, reggae was originally what skinheads really used to. Yes, and particularly, yeah, particularly Scar, though. Scar, yeah. Scar end rather than the slower, funky end. But yes, they did, absolutely. And this is slightly before the kind of right wing of skinheads as well, wasn't it? Like there was still a bit of violence going on, but it wasn't the. it was yes. more of the appreciation of the music and the culture. That's right. Now I just, I love reggae. Mm. And I just, uh, and I mean, you know, we just loved, later on we got the sort of, you know, Wayless mm. records and things and just loved them. We even went to see them, you know. We did, and, uh, the Lyceum. Yeah. And it was, I can't remember if they were the I3 or the three eyes. <laughs> anyway, you can look that up, Tom. We'll look that up later. Yeah. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah, I mean... But maybe they got the idea from you guys. They saw oh, you. So. <laughs> oh, definitely. <it's... laughs> so yeah. um, fast-forwarding back to where we are in, the, in kind of 75. That's it, yeah. Where did the kind of feminist outlook that you guys have did you all share that in the university days and bring that into the stepney sisters or was it something that was happening in that particular environment in london that kind of brought that out of you all i would say we were all interested in it when we were at york a little bit but it was within the cultural setting you see 1970 71 women's liberation had really started to get going in the states and it was kind of gathering momentum. So by the time we moved down to London in 1974, it was culturally, it was becoming more and more sort of present. It wasn't just us. It was, it was becoming much more in the media. The books were being published. Sisterhood is powerful. Our bodies, ourselves, the dialectic of sex. Uh, you know, it, it, was, it was very much a, a part of... That's right. I think that was slightly earlier. Mm. Yeah, and to all, and it went and hand in hand, it went with um, GLF, the Gay Liberation Front. You know that that was also. Do you remember Benny? Because you were involved. You, your close friends were involved with that very much at York. So, so we were sort of a part of the culture, and also we were getting a little bit fed up with being <laughs> patronised and you know, tottering around in hot pants and braces. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we were sort of responding to the cultural milieu of the time and it just coincided with our, or well, I should speak for myself really, for my personal ambition uh, to be 
just to have more of a say in the creative process, mm. you know, to have more input. And I think everyone in the band, we wouldn't have used the word feminist back then, but we would all have supported women's liberation, but in slightly different ways, you know, we were yeah. not a sort of uniform group, but, but we all supported the writing of wrongs that had been done to women. I mean, putting it again in a bit of a larger context, we've grown up post-war, some of us, in fact, probably all of us, with rather frustrated, fed-up mothers, you know, mm -hmm. who'd had a very, who'd had a sort of interesting life and had then been shoved back into a more domestic role. And mm -hmm. as I remember, a lot of those mothers were sort of frustrated. And we were in some ways, you know, that that carried on to us and it, it felt like it was our time to have more agency, just mm -hmm. to be a bit freer. And, and there was a huge amount of discrimination legally, personally, politically at the time, you know, mm. to do with equal pay and having to leave a job if you got married and all this complete and utter nonsense. You can say what you want on this. I can, I can either... <laughs> Just hateful. Anyway, mm. Benny, you chip in. Come on. Before... What was it? The Equal Pay Act in 1975? It was the um, Discrimination it, um, Act or something. I mean, yeah. you could not. I tried to, uh, I was saying to somebody today, I tried to buy a telly on the HP, your hire purchase, because yeah. mm. uh, we were always so poor, we never had enough money to buy anything. <laughs> um, you couldn't, you couldn't buy anything on hire purchase if you were a single woman without getting a signature of a man, really? either your husband or your father or anybody <laughs> else that you could sort of persuade. The inference being that you were too kind of irresponsible to take on a debt and that you were bound to get into trouble with it. So you better get a man to sort of, <laughs> you know, act as your guarantor. Um, and, and that went for sort of all kinds of things. Like, you know, um, getting uh, electricity or whatever, or um, a mortgage. You couldn't get a mortgage as a single person, on your, uh, a, a woman on your own. So in, in that respect, quite a few changes have happened since that time. Mm. And, and I think, we you know, we, we, we can quite, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, we can quite easily forget just the sort of differences that, that, that there were between the sexes. You know, I had this holiday job I had working in the record shop. I got four pounds a week for it. And a guy who was making a sort of equal hash of it as I made of my job, um, who worked with me, he got six pounds a week right. yeah. simply because he was a guy. And there was this general kind of atmosphere that as a woman you were a sort of general property that any man could sort of say anything that he wanted to you basically whether whether he knew who you were or not you know he could comment on your appearance or make quite sort of personal remarks perpetually sort of tell you to cheer up or smile I mean give us a smile love yeah, yeah give us right. a smile when when you walked yeah. down the street, you would just have a sort of barrage of, of people sort of yelling, yelling yeah. stuff at you. And it, and if you wanted, to, if you just sort of told them to shut up or fuck off or whatever, you know, then you kind of got uh, um, the incredible sort of vitriol back. There was none of the sort of, oh, give us a smile there. 
then, you know, it was all your thing. <laughs> so if you sort of stood up to it, you ran the risk of this kind of stirring up this, and then you got very stirred up yourself, of course, and then that ruined your nice walk anyway. So there are all sorts of ways in which, uh, in which it was, and also at university, the setup was incredibly sort of male-weighted, you know, the teaching staff, all of, I was a music student at York, and all of the teaching staff were male. All of the women who were composers used to sort of just get sort of slagged off all the time. There was just this sort of sense that uh, all the women there were either there to be sort of become girlfriends or and if, if you became a, a sort of girlfriend or whatever, then you were sort of, you know, um, allowed into the male's ambit. And if you if you didn't, if you sort of tried to stand on your own, then you just got sort of basically slagged off and ignored. Well, that's it, because you weren't <laughs> supposed to act in that way, were you? No, <laughs> Which is ridiculous. So, yeah. Uh, and it, it was it was just everywhere. It was all pervasive. You you couldn't get away from it anywhere. I became involved in the women's liberation group in the university um, when I was in, in about my second year. And um I think I went to one meeting and I suddenly thought, that's it, that's it, this is my thing, I'm joining, yes, they're all, everything they're saying is right, you know, and I just started to read absolutely sort of voraciously every sort of bit of feminist literature I could get my hands on and mm. uh, I, I was very sort of absorbed in that mm. and I think that... Uh, we all sort of got there by slightly different, slightly different routes because Caroline was, you were in a, a sort of left-wing political group, weren't yes, you? Yes, I, I was in left-wing groups. I was in the International Socialists. Okay. <laughs> we then became the Socialist Worker Party. We used to stand outside <laughs> the gates of Terry's Chocolate Factory going, Socialist Worker, <laughs> trying to sell these blooming papers. I was only in it for about a year. Again, I was very idealistic, but again, it was completely dominated by men. It was incredibly sexist. They all drank pints of beer and laughed at the women, and I got I got rather sort of fed up with it. Mm. And then when we moved to London, I was already interested in being a writer, which is something I pursued a lot more later in my life, but I joined a women's writers group. And my God, it was so interesting. It was the first group I'd ever been in that was all women. Right. And my God, those women were interesting. Four of them were American for a start. American. Mm. <laughs> Older women. They were all feminists. Some of them were lesbians. And I was just, it was so unusual to be in a group of intelligent, articulate women who were mm. not being put down by some dreary, dreary, droney man. You know, it was just electrifying. Meanwhile, we were forming our own band. And I was thinking... My God, this is more like it. Let's do it like this, you know, a bit like Betty with her women's liberation. By then, I jettisoned all the socialist work party stuff. And I was, you know, really very empowered. And it was just thrilling. It was thrilling and exciting and very, very creative as well. We're making it sound very earnest, but it's actually huge fun. No, but it's, it's about finding your tribe, isn't it? It's about surrounding yourself with like-minded people and and realizing yeah. that oh the way i'm thinking isn't completely yeah. out of left yeah. field there are other people that think this way too and uh, yes. yeah it must have been incredibly exciting to kind of find those groups of people 
forming the Stepney Sisters and having it as an all female group was the plan. You know, yeah. you're never ever going to have a male member. It had yeah. to be, yeah, absolutely, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> Less arguments or more arguments? Oh, <laughs> I wouldn't say we have fewer arguments. No. <laughs> But uh, I think in, in any, any group of people, there's always, you know, it's always difficult. It's difficult enough to relate to one other person and mm. then to have that sort of, you know, the, the relationship that everybody has to everybody else is uh, it's always difficult. And uh, to try to do things in a, a sort of organic way, not a kind of top down way. There was a pamphlet around at the time, which which was called the tyranny of structurelessness, um, which was all about how the, all the sort of groups that were forming at the time, that uh, even if you were trying to sort of uh, be incredibly sort of equal and democratic about everything, a tyranny always arises or there is always some kind of stronger will or at work in one person or another person. And uh, so even if you're not actually kind of setting up a structure, a structure always kind of evolves. Yeah. And I think that that uh, has to happen, I think, in any group of people. Mm. I've always found bands singularly the environments where fallouts occur but no one talks about them you know I, I don't know whether it, I don't know whether it's I've, I've been in mainly male centric bands in the past and it's like there's always one perceived weak link and everyone knows it but no one talks about it and then it becomes like a an issue and I, I don't know whether that that happens in all female bands as well or whether you're more open to discussing those well, we, we certainly discussed right. so much. We wore ourselves out. We discussed late into the night how we should proceed. Uh, yeah. So I, I don't think we did, did talk about everything absolutely honestly. I think there was a bit of what you were saying mm. um, went on, but we certainly talked. My God, you couldn't shut us up, you know. And a bit like what Benny was talking about, when you're given responsibility, which is what we had taken, you know, yeah. then, yeah, you have to negotiate, you have to make decisions. And actually, in some ways, it's quite easy to just totter along in your, you know, your high heel clogs and do the backing vocals <laughs> when you're not making any decisions. Mm -hmm. When we formed our own band, we had to decide everything from what we wore, where we went, how the arrangements went, what the sound was, what were our politics. I mean... It's really yeah. tiring. What you could, <laughs> what you could and couldn't say in a song. Yeah, that's um, right. We even went through all the yeah. lyrics and crossed out the babies and the this, that, and the other because right. we decided they were, you know, demeaning and yeah. trivialising women. And actually, that is actually a valid point. But of course, mm. it's, that was taken at that time to one could say an extreme. So, you know, with responsibility comes debate and argument and tussles and power struggles. And that's exactly what happened in our group. Mm. Not all the time. There was a lot of, as I say, a huge amount of fun and progress and, you know, at the same time. Well, I have been in groups with men. It's very different when you're a female in a group of men. Most mm. groups are all men, music groups still. They're all men. Occasionally, they might have a singer popped on the edge, female. So you would know about that, Tom. I yeah. think that women have similar problems, but they probably deal with them in a different way. Yeah, guys, I think they talk a lot. 
but they don't say anything if you if you see what i mean we're very good at chatting absolute mindless drivel about all sorts but we're not very good at getting to the nub of the problem and that's that's been the problem with most of the bands that i've ever been in <laughs> it gets to a point where it's completely irreversible yes uh, yeah uh-huh. but it's not all you know like you were saying, it's not all incredibly earnest. Um, what what were some of the incredible shows that you played or what were some of the really fun times? I'm just trying to remember specific things. We played at a couple of conferences, which were fun because they were big, big occasions. You know, 1975, we played at the Manchester Women's Liberation conference and this was the one where we were on the train on the way up we were crossing out all the words like baby rewriting all the lyrics being pilloried on, the on way stage to the gig. <laughs> oh, I really you. you know we couldn't say baby it had to be I don't know maybe darling was allowed but anyway but it was very exciting perhaps not so much fun but it was kind of kind of kind of thrilling and again it was that feeling that women had actually got together and had some power and agency and it was quite sort of yeah I suppose it was quite rare to have all female rock groups at that point as well right like you say it was it was generally it was incredibly it was, you know, rare it was the yeah. soul the soul singers it was a girl group but it, no one was playing instruments it was you know they had yes. backing bands so mm. At these uh, conferences and the, the other gigs that you were playing, were there a lot of other all-female groups? No, there was no. one other at Manchester who were the Northern Women's Liberation Rock Band. <laughs> <laughs> and they were actually wonderful. They were totally different to us. They were mainly from sort of working-class backgrounds. But they were also great. They, mm. were, they were just very different, weren't they? The Northern, I mean, just their name, the Northern Women's Liberation Rock Band tell where they're coming from they sound like a movement in themselves they were they were pretty (laughs) wonderful actually in their own way they were also writing their own songs do you remember the drummer she was so yeah angie yeah angie Angie. they had that northern sense of you she was in liverpool and they were they really were i mean we had a lot of fun chatting to them they were fun They didn't. They didn't say, you know, this tea's a bit weak. They said, "This is fucking nuts." Piss. <laughs> <laughs> they called they it as very, it was. They were very, very funny and unpretentious, and you know, but they were the only other women's band there. There was a, a woman called Susan Straight Arrow who played, and she used to do. I think she was Canadian, perhaps. I think she was half Native Indian, wasn't she? Right, that was and she yeah. used to sing. The women's army are marching. Oh, sisters, don't you weep? Which, yes. uh, which, you know, we used to sing this a lot on demonstrations. And there was another band called Jam Today, of course. Well, um, they were they came a little bit later. A little bit later, yeah. Mm. Kind of a year later because they'd mm. been in touch and they did actually say that they were a bit inspired by seeing us, mm. which is rather uh-huh. nice. But yes, there were. They yeah. soon started actually to proliferate the women's bands, which is. Absolutely fantastic. There were, mm. you know, they gradually came in. When we started, there was, as far as I know, the main, well, there probably were others because, but the main one we met was the Women's Liberation, Northern Women's Liberation. <laughs> <laughs> we actually went and had a residential weekend with them. Do you remember? 
Yeah, we went to this organic farm oh. for the weekend and you had to pee in a bucket um, so that they could put it on their vegetables or something. <laughs> uh, and, and we were put in this barn, weren't we? We were, I love yeah. the barn. Yeah, we were put in a barn to kind of play and we were playing together and things. We are doing a bit of bonding. Mm. We were um, bonding, sharing music, sharing practice, talking about how we wrote our songs. And Angie, the drummer, <laughs> jumped into one of the hay things and put a tambourine around her head and said she was the baby Jesus. I mean, <laughs> she, was, she was just wonderful. <laughs> That's that's drummers, though, isn't it? You know, <laughs> they're totally crackers. She was great. Oh, that's so, yeah, incredible. A lot of bands followed on, but they had one rather strange person who was the keyboard player, who was a former Lancaster University lecturer. Oh, right. Called Carol Riddell, who was actually um, transgender. She she had been John Riddell. She was um, transsexual. Yeah, she'd yeah, actually had a gender yeah. re, re, very early. You know. For the time. That's right. Yeah, so you've got all these northern sort of working class women, <laughs> and then you had this rather intellectual, um, you know, deeply kind of intelligent woman. And uh, that 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 was all part of the fun as well. Um, they were they're a very sort of odd, odd mixture. Wow. But it was it was a really great it was a really great sort of weekend at this organic farm. I don't really remember doing very much apart from sort of messing about, but mm. uh, um, jamming, was, jamming, yeah, jamming, 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 yeah, yeah. That must have been incredibly uh, refreshing being around other hmm. men all being creative in that environment. It must have been one of the first times that you'd been in that kind of a creative space as well as as well as the kind of women's lib yeah it was fun it was yeah. fun they, they were huge fun they were all for having fun and drinking loads of beer and you know <laughs> digging around it was it was absolutely great mm-hmm. sounds it so the original incarnation of the stepney sisters it kind of what was it about 18 months that's, two years that's right, yeah. like that. 18 months, yeah. you managed to do quite a bit of traveling and you you, you played quite a few gigs we did. You, you kind of blazed the trail. Yes. What brought it to an end then, if, if you know, if that's not too sore a subject after no. all this? Time? Benny, why don't you start? Because <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, all, we're all friends now, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think what the, one, of the, one of the problems was that we were all sort of struggling to hold down full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. Caroline was teaching. I was working at London Contemporary Dance School as a pianist. And both Ruthie and Noni were, you know, when you're sort of starting up in a job or starting... They were, like, they were in social work jobs, weren't yes, they? Yeah, they, they were had in shift work, shifts and things. Which was That's quite right. Lovely. Susie had a, this small baby... So we, we were all sort of struggling. We, we, we were all tired and, and we, we were mm. kind of um, all struggling to keep our lives together. And uh, within the band, there was um, the one member who is we're still not in touch with, who who we just sort of found it very difficult. So she, she was the sort of the person that we just couldn't really quite... Um, fathom somehow not quite on the same wavelength 
Yes, and, and a lot of sort of misunderstandings and sort of conflicts arose. Mm. And I think at, at a certain point, we all decided that it just wasn't uh, worth the emotional strain it was putting us all under, because it's deeply upsetting. I think when you're in a very sort of small group like that, your, your lives become very um, contained. And, and we were all sort of struggling to... Um, with relationships and things like that, or trying to sort of find some kind of, uh, have some sort of personal life or something. And uh, it, it seemed as if it was becoming overwhelming somehow. Did you, do you agree, Caroline, with that? I mean, without, yeah. without trying to sort of put anybody down too much. Yeah. Uh, I mean, because I, th I think in any group of people, there'll always be one person who is sort of, seems to take on that the role of, of uh, being the impossible person it's kind of what i was saying earlier on there's always one yes, that's person right. isn't there yeah that's unfortunately right. it's often this sort of the straw that breaks the camel's back it's not their fault it's mm. just that it's the extra thing which makes it very difficult mm. i mean i'm looking here at the thing that noni wrote mm. and she's she's explained some of it quite well it was very difficult, really, to find enough time to rehearse and to really progress because we were all quite ambitious creatively. You know, we wanted to do good stuff, wanted to play good music, write good songs. Yeah. And we just, it was very difficult just to make the time. Especially when you're holding down jobs and things. Yeah, we were engaged in jobs or childcare and we were holding back from making the band our priority in life. Now, mm. if you really want a band to be successful, you ditch your job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is what you do. Yeah. And, and we just couldn't and didn't want to do that. Because mm. what um, were you teaching at the time, Caroline? Oh, English. English okay. and drama. <laughs> And that was bloody hard work. In a secondary level. Secondary level, yeah. I live with an English teacher. I know exactly how yeah, hard you guys were. It was work. a lot easier in those days. You didn't have to do all the preparation, I tell you. So we were discussing things like, should we have more music and less politics? <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the discussions we obviously had. Wow. And um, I think, as Benny said, we just ran out of steam. And we did have some interpersonal conflicts, but... To be fair, we were also struggling just to find time for it. Some people wanted to just be fantastic musicians and had had enough of, you know, agonising over the politics. Let's just get on. And, and some of us wanted, I was probably more on the other side. Politics is desperately important, you know. So we were sort of, you know, it was just a different in emphasis, really. Mm. And um, reluctantly, or not reluctantly, at the time it seemed like the right thing to do was split up. But then we all went on to do music in other in other bands, in other outfits, etc. So it was not... Some of us went on to um, be in bands sort of afterwards as well. Mm. I was in a band with Ruthie and who was, yeah, you weren't in that band, were you? We were called Soul Yard. And, and yes, we, I, I went to Australia. I went to Australia, that's right. We, we had... Um, we had a band called Soul Yard. We used to play at Dingwalls and right. um, the King's Head and places like that. That was a mixed band. Mm. And that was pretty serious. We did actually give a lot of time to that. And uh, I think, but all, all the same, we got asked to do a demo for RCA. But um, I think people at that time, they still didn't know quite how to sort of market us. You know, they they said, "Oh, you're not you're not like girls singers in a band. You're not 
you're not a novelty band. You're people who actually play the instruments quite sort of seriously. And, and then punk came along. So that sort of added another dimension. Everybody went off and became involved in various groups and stuff. And we didn't come together again until uh, the year that Susie turned 60 and said she wanted to have a reunion. And yeah. we all just get together again and do a gig. Yeah. So that was uh, that was kind of far enough away for us to have forgotten all the all the problems and everything. So we just sort of thought we were mad fools, and so we said yes, we would. Yeah, what a great idea! But also by that point as well, I suppose you've all everyone grows up. You lose those kind of you know yes. petty kind of disagreements. You've all kind of gone on to have families and and well, you know, some of careers us, some of us and... did um yeah and, and good, different careers and uh, you know some people went to we, we all sort of left some of us left london um mm. you know some people stayed in london and for uh, quite a long while we were all sort of um spread out weren't we it's touching on the punk thing as well which one of you was it that was approached to replace palm olive in the slits so i think that was susie yes mm. Because uh-huh. that that's the last documentary show that I put out. I did a whole um, oh. episode on the slits. I think they're massively underrated and and huge pioneers in in the same way that you guys were. It was an all female group. They kind of just picked yes. up instruments because they wanted to do it, and yes. um, I think they've been massively overlooked as well. Mm-hmm. They're not for everyone. Their sound isn't for everyone, but such a an influence on various artists and bands that came along in the 80s and 90s with the riot girl movement yeah. and, and that kind of thing so punk was never something that you guys got involved in no because we found, I, I found it very sort of aggressive and i think we're all far too polite for punk <laughs> <laughs> too polite for punk too polite for punk I think because we we really enjoyed our sort of vocal arrangements and 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 sort of putting really sort of like a huge amount of thought into our harmonies and all that sort of thing, um, we you know it, we were sort of uh, not kind of keen on the thrashing three chord, um, yeah. you know, fuck the Pope or whatever it was, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it all seemed a bit rough and nasty to me, to be mm. quite honest. You guys were much more kind of soulful because of your... Yeah, it's, it's we, we were definitely coming. Yeah, we were coming more from a soul, much more from a soulful soul mm-hmm. tradition. And, and this is kind of where we're at now, isn't it? You say um, you got back together again for, what was it, 2010? It was 10 years yeah. ago. Yeah. yeah, well, it was 11 years ago, yeah, yeah. to 2010. And uh, but also we did one gig that year and it was so such fun that we did it again the year after for another for more 60th for birthday. more 60th and, and for that one before we did that one we decided to make a recording because mm. we wanted, you know we thought it'd be great we'd never recorded the songs so we went to the blue barn studios in ely and we put it down amazingly quickly didn't we Benny? Yeah. Just, um, you know, we did two days of recording two days of mixing for 12 was it 12 or eight eight tracks and it was it was brilliant. I mean, we couldn't quite believe it. It was it was such it was really hard work, but really enjoyable. So that's how the CD came about. It would never have happened if Susie hadn't suggested getting together for her birthday, and then we got together again the year later. But 
We've only prayed once more since then, which was at a women's liberation conference about five years ago, didn't we, Benny? Do you well, that's that? right, at, at UCL. At the um, Institute of Education. No, it was UCL. It was, it was wasn't it? It, it was in Bloomsbury, you know. It was, yeah. yeah I thought yeah. it was the Institute of Education. It was, it anyway. was, I, I remember it because it was my 64th birthday. Well, there you go. Yeah. It was a, that was a funny and, old gig. It and was, it, was really, it was really funny because all the same people were there that used to come to our step <laughs> sisters' gigs kind of like 40 years ago. They were all there. That's incredible. It was actually. Yeah. And and a lot, and it was funny. It was sort of very much the same kind of atmosphere, a sort of you know frustration that people that things were sort of you know not being properly organised, yes. and we had to wait for hours <laughs> to get oh, on the God. stage. And, oh, we're just there hanging there around like eight hours playing, playing the guitar. Oh. Really, so she just refused to get off, and, and we were absolutely <laughs> exhausted. It was like past midnight, you know. Way past our bedtimes. Oh, no, it was worse than it used to be, Benny, because the, the gigs used to run on time and they'd just be, you know, but this oh. one just, oh, anyway, we shouldn't be not. But anyway, but yes, it was like, took us all back to those days where you just hang around for anything. Get a bloody move on. And doing this sort of endless poetry. Oh, the dreadful endless, poetry. Endless, yeah. dreadful poetry. Oh, no. And I oh. speak of someone who writes poetry. Oh. God, a little is enough. God. <laughs> yes. oh. I was going to say, I don't think I've ever, ever, ever played a gig that's run on time. Ever like it just doesn't happen. Oh, I'm going to say, yeah, the, PA, the PA system was terrible, and the PA was kind of not working properly. And there was oh. this poor girl trying to operate it, and she obviously didn't know what she was doing, and people were getting uptight with her, and it was just awful. Oh yeah. So uh, that was, but I mean, we still managed to do our set. We still managed to sort of do the songs and everything, mm. and uh, uh, you know. The good thing I think about these these few the few gigs that we did sort of with the forty year gap or whatever it was um, was that we'd actually had a bit of a chance to practice in between you know so um, <laughs> Ruthie had actually only sort of taken up the saxophone for about a week when we had our first gig um, so she'd had sort of forty more years of playing the sax you know That's right. and. Uh, so, you know, all in all, I think we'd all had a bit more practice. So You're right think, there, Benny. Yeah. We, were, we were a lot more... We'd all been in bands. Actually, I think through all of us in between, we'd been mm. working consistently in different bands. So we hadn't just given up and, you know, taken up knitting or something. We actually had been working in working bands. Or, yeah. mm. Honed your crafts. Well, we could just yeah. play a bit better. We'd practice. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, everything apart from my bass playing, because oh I yes, poor Benny had not hardly played yeah. the bass, and she suddenly had to get around all these. Because <laughs> I, 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 I play the. I'm a professional organist. Right. I play the organ for my living, and uh, so I'd sort of like all my practice had also been keyboards and playing the organ, and uh, so I hadn't actually. I'd, I'd actually sort of. Um, taken up the bass a few times to play for a few odd things but you know I, I hadn't really been playing very much at all so for me it was kind of it was back to sort of 
gradually, gradually, I sort of managed to remember a few of a few of the a bit of the stuff and everything. But uh, I think we all sort of knew. We all kind of knew sort of like the best way to approach things. And there was sort of far less kind of upset and discussion and just, uh, and always, I think in the step, in the steppos, we had some sort of dreadful sort of traumas and upsets, but we always had the most incredible sort of laughs as well. I mean, you know, we would just sort of, uh sometimes become absolutely sort of hysterical about certain things and uh there, there have always been kind of certain incidents every time we get together there's always one hugely howls of laughter that we, at one that, of the that things we always sort of managed to kind of get into some kind of incredible scrape and then and then we can do nothing except laugh about it and i mean that that has been that has been sort of um consistent throughout which is which has been the really great thing about the stepos so have you all kind of locked back into those kind of relationships then well, I think mm-hmm. since since we had our reunion <laughs> 10, 11 years ago, we've all become closer. I mean, yeah. we, we get together, most of us, once a year mm-hmm. for a weekend, and it's just delightful. We have a lovely time. We spend time together. We catch up. You know, we don't necessarily do any music. I think to begin with, we were going to. <laughs> so, yeah. Time. I think our friendships are much closer actually mm-hmm. they've become you know we sort of drifted apart mainly because we were living in separate places and very busy just you know keeping having families or careers yeah and now we've got more time and this is absolutely delightful we are like each other's you know chosen family I would say we are what well, I would say wouldn't you Benny oh yeah definitely yes. definitely we are each other's chosen family and we're back together and this is just not all of us together at the same time necessarily, but it is an absolute delight because we know each other so well. We've known each other since we were so young and daft. And, you know, we've seen each other through ups, downs, births, deaths, good luck, you know, like as, like you do with the chosen family. And yeah. it is a real privilege and um, a joy, actually. That's wonderful to hear. And this is one of the things that I loved about the story is like there's a lot of time in between there where a lot of a lot of things could have happened, a lot of, you know, growing apart can happen. But it's it's I think it's beautiful that you guys have got back together and everyone's still on that same page and and if not stronger by the sounds of it. So the recording of the album in 2010 as well, was that just for kind of posterity, just because you could? Yeah, I think so. It, uh, I mean, we never really had um, any intention to sell it, or did we? Well, except at the gigs, so you know, give it, give it, or sell it to friends. We weren't yeah. expecting to, yeah. it to be a huge hit or whatever. <laughs> And in fact, it, it, would probably, it was probably a huge rip-off because all the copies we had made all turned out to be complete duds. I mean, I've got four <laughs> copies and none of them play. So, so uh, if people actually spent four pounds or something on buying our CD, it probably worked for sort of two or three plays and then gave up. So that was another reason why we were really happy that it was going on Spotify because uh, we could actually hear the songs again. <laughs> We thought we'd lost them forever, having, you know, having gone to uh, the trouble of recording them um, uh, 10 years ago. It would have been awful if they'd just then vanished. Mm. So that was, uh, we we never really uh, thought about having a commercial sort of venture with Mm. it. 
Mm. So, so why now then to release the uh, the 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 kind of double? It's like a double A single, and then the album's coming out later in the year. Is that right? Well, we were very fortunate, really. It's a, it's a kind of series of um, fortunate rather than unfortunate, Liminy Snicket, <laughs> fortunate <laughs> events. Our guitarist, Noni, her lovely daughter, Anya, is in the um, Dream Nails, uh, feminist punk group. And one of the tracks got onto um, SoundCloud or something from the Women's Liberation Music Archive, which okay. some friends have put together about five years ago, my song sisters. And um, she played it to him, he heard it. Um, the um, head of the record label, Alcapop, which is who they're signed with. And he said, wow, I really love this, you know, well, let's get it out there. And they discussed it between them and said, yeah, there's a whole album, you know, let's, let's get it out there. So Anya came back to us and said, great news, guys, you know, Alcapop are interested in... <clears throat> signing you up you can see I'm making the inverted commas in the air because we haven't actually signed anything there's no money in it but the whole point is that they're really happy to arrange to get you know the music up on Spotify mm. and um, get it out there and we just we were just a gobsmacked and b totally delighted because you know it's lovely to, that other people can have the chance to hear it really so it was really just fortuitous. It came through Anya, basically, in mm. Dream Nails. Why now? Well, we just wanted to get on with it. You know, we just wanted to do it and um, let's let's get it going. They were, they were keen to, to get it out there. And so, yeah, it's happening. Yeah, because Anya, Anya facilitated this as well. So thank you to Anya as well, you know. So. Yes, great. Anya is brilliant. This is probably going to go out at the end of March. So hopefully by the time this has gone out, it will be on Spotify and it will be available. Are they producing ones to sell or is it just on streaming platforms? I think at the moment it's just on the streaming platform, but it's mm. all happened quite quickly and things might develop, you know. Mm. To begin with, it will just be on the streaming platform. I, yeah. You'd have to check with Anya and she'd sure. be able to tell you the date. It's, okay. I'm, not, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ask, ask Anya. We haven't a clue what's going on. <laughs> I mean, we, I, do, we do hear from Anya, but, you know. <laughs> but it's just something that's going on elsewhere, isn't it? Well, we're just, we're just sort of, uh, we're dependent on the young people now to sort of deal with all this technical stuff. You know, I have my, my, my glamorous assistant son, who is able to sort of help me with all this. But I had to say to him a little while ago, what is Spotify? And then he has to sort of explain and then explain how I can get, you know, so I, I can now do Spotify. But Anya seems to be so unbelievably, incredibly on the ball uh, with absolutely everything. And uh, and it's great that, uh, you know, and her, um, her mum... Uh, you know, being quite unwell now, um, it's mm. it's great for it's great for Noni that uh, this is happening as well. Yeah, mm. so, mm. yeah. yeah. Um, so I suppose there's not much in the way. Of, uh, are there any plans for new material or, or future gigs? You know, that's really interesting. There are no firm, concrete plans, but Susie in particular, our drummer, is always saying why don't we record some more tracks? Because there are lots, you know, of other songs we didn't record. And why don't we record some new stuff? 
because we all write and mm. there, there is more stuff, you know, we could do. But there are no firm plans, partly because we, we all have our own lives and we live quite far away. Scotland, Edinburgh, I'm in the Lake right. District. Ruthie's in Norfolk, Susie's in London, Noni's in London, you know, so there are vague ideas, but being realistic, I don't think it's going to happen mm. anytime soon. And also Noni is not very well, so it's yeah. not so feasible at the moment. Do you say that's right, Benny? Yeah, I would say that's right. Um, plus, we're all kind of getting a bit older and no. um, we need to... <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we can't sort of uh, rough it quite so much anymore. So we, we need to be sort of assured of a certain degree of uh, you know. Uh, I I think the uh, I think it's a lovely it's a lovely idea. Um, this blessed COVID thing yes. has just sort of put the kibosh on absolutely. Everything, hasn't it? I completely mean, made it impossible. I mean, you know, yeah. we, we haven't even been able to meet up. You know, so. Yeah, well, this is this is one of the things, isn't it? Uh, you know, 2020 and the beginning of 2021 and possibly the rest of 2021, perhaps, who knows, yeah. has uh, put the brakes on a lot of plans. It certainly has, yeah. However, I mean, it might spur us on, you know, because when, when there's the possibility of actually being able to do anything even vaguely normal again, maybe we'll be, be inspired to sort of get out there and do it while the uh, opportunity is there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think there's going to be a huge thirst for, I think anyone who's even slightly creative has either kind of immersed themselves in creativity or is really missing it. Yes. But if you can't do it on your own and you, you need a, wow. a band around you or you need friends around you to do the thing that's creative, that drives yes. you, um, I think it's going to, there's a lot of pent up creative people out there at the moment. And I think... Uh, yeah, yeah. It will be uh, it will be interesting to see what happens once uh, everyone's vaccinated and we're all allowed out. Yes. The recordings on the album are 2010 recordings of 1970s songs. That's yeah? right. Yep. So there's <laughs> oh, no yeah. it, none well, of it's none of it's new, but it is yeah. obviously you know new on on recording. That's right. mm -hmm. So what are you looking forward to once we can all get back out there and this whole thing COVID is behind us? Gosh, I'm just looking forward to seeing people. I mean, I live by myself, and I've been going climbing the walls really i mean yeah. i do do a lot of zooming <laughs> sure you know of course i see people on screen it's not quite the same though is it i want to be able to visit people i mean mm. i was going to visit benny just before stupid yeah. covid came down and we get yeah. together and we natter and we go around the edinburgh and it's just heavenly so just having that social contact will be absolutely brilliant and being able to go down the pub and just chat yeah. to people have a yeah. cup of coffee in a cafe I mean oh I mean as I say when you live by yourself it does get quite tedious even imagine. though I'm quite happy living by myself there's been no one else in my house for a year I mean boring 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 <laughs> so you're gonna get me going now <laughs> no but it's crazy isn't it we all kind of yeah think we all took for granted certain things and it's amazing like it's it's quite beneficial that it's happened now when there is this kind of technology you know yes. that we can oh, use to talk true. to people had this happened 10 years ago oh 
people would be going insane. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do do a lot of Zoom groups. I'm, I'm a writer and I'm in various poetry, mm. fiction writing groups, and um, I'm in a songwriters group as well. And those things are absolutely lovely. They're brilliant. And I, I'm in contact with friends. So, but yes, so, so, so that for me, and to some extent family, but most of my family live very far away, but more long-standing friends. I love the songs that have been released. I'm really looking forward to listening to the full album. Oh, thank you. And uh, I hope that putting this out as a podcast will encourage a few more people to go and listen, give it a listen and, uh, and download it, whether that generates any uh, you know, revenue for you guys. That's brilliant, <laughs> but... Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? A bit of revenue. Yeah, coffee, coffee maybe. But more than that, it's just getting the art out there. It's getting people listening to brilliant music and um, and what, what you guys are putting out is brilliant music. It stands up. I think it's pretty timeless. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we were we were pleasantly surprised at, uh, at the, how it all turned out, actually. We were, yeah. And finally, of course, thank you very much for, for talking to me this evening nice to meet you Tom very and nice you as well. thank you thank you for taking the trouble that was great no it's, yeah. it's like I say I, I love the story of like you guys this podcast isn't technically a punk podcast but one of the main genres that I enjoy is is punk but um what I enjoy about it is like your story kind of follows that quite brightly burning 18 months with a kind of political edge as well and a kind of social edge to what you were doing Definitely. There was this big gap and now you're all, you know, you got back together in the last decade and, uh, and, uh, and are putting out an album this, uh-huh. you know, this, this long after, you know, first forming the band, I think it's incredible and the music's brilliant as well. So yeah, I'm a fan wow. and thank um, you. It's, it's been an absolute honor to have you on and I'm, you know, just thank you for, for sharing your time with me this evening. That's great, Tom. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Thanks ever so much. Didn't I tell you it was an incredible story? I'm honoured to have been given the time by Caroline and Benny to tell their story. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did talking to them. Go out and stream their album, Stepney Sisters, now on Spotify and iTunes. for listening to this episode of band biographies if you enjoyed it please don't forget to leave a five-star review on apple podcasts or whatever service you use to listen to your podcasts please do reach out on twitter at bandbiogs, instagram at band biographies search on facebook for band biographies or by emailing bandbiographies at gmail.com see you next time It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.